We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Acts. We are in chapter 13. Uh, Your bulletin says that we're going to start in verse 44. I'm going to back up just a couple of verses. We're going to start back in 42 to get a run and start. Um, If you remember, uh, Paul and Barnabas are at at Antioch in Pisidia and They have preached there on a Sabbath day in a synagogue, and this, in verse 44, starts the next Sabbath. Uh, So before we read the Word of God, let us go to the Lord, ask Him to bless the reading of His Word and the proclamation of the Word and the hearing of His Word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, bless now the reading and proclaiming of your word by the power of your spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight this day. May you be exalted and glorified. May we as your people be edified and built up through Jesus Christ our Lord, for it's in his name and for his sake that we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 42. Hear the word of the Lord, it is written. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them, to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ, be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This past Sunday, Pastor John covered the ministry of Paul and Barnabas at Antioch of Pisidia. And by the way, just in case you missed Pastor John's geography lesson and were wondering why Paul and Barnabas were back where they had started This is not the same Antioch of the beginning of Acts 13 and Acts 11. That was Syrian Antioch. This is Pisidian Antioch. 
Antioch apparently was a pretty common city name, much like Columbus or Madison are in the United States. Anyhow, here at Pisidian Antioch, Paul has preached the gospel in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. He's declared that justification, being set right with God, came by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And it was a message that sparked the interest of those in attendance that day. And we're told here in verse 42 that the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And this is where we are going to pick up this morning, back at the synagogue with Paul and Barnabas on the next Sabbath. And remember, as we've seen previously, Luke isn't telling us every little thing that happens in the course of Acts. He's presenting us with significant moments. And the significance of this passage, I think, becomes pretty clear in these verses. There is here a very clear rejection of the gospel by the Jews, which provides an opportunity for Paul to turn his attention to the Gentiles, who are very excited to receive the gospel. Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, is able to proclaim to them that the promises of the gospel are for them as well as for the Jews who placed faith in Jesus. We're going to push into this further next Sunday, Lord willing. But, but there is something underneath the surface here that I would like for us to consider this morning. You see, this passage presents us with a contrast between those who receive and respond to the gospel message and those who do not. And I think it's worth examining the difference between the two. We need to ask ourselves, what does it look like to listen well to the preaching of the gospel? What does it look like to listen well to the preaching of the gospel? And we find here in Acts 13 practical ways in which we can avail ourselves to gospel preaching. And this is of great importance for what we have been told throughout Acts 13, starting in verse 7, was that what was proclaimed by Paul and Barnabas were not merely human words. It was the very word of God. Paul will later commend the church in Thessalonica for receiving his preaching not merely as human words. He writes to them in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. God spoke, Scripture declares, through the prophets and the apostles. And that reality is made clear here in these verses. But God's word continues to be proclaimed through all who faithfully preach the gospel today. And by virtue of the preached word being God's word, all those to whom it is spoken should be attentive to it. Paul says that those in Thessalonica accepted God's word. Accepted here has a connotation of welcoming as one would a guest into their home. 
This is what we do with God's word written and proclaimed. We are to receive it as a welcomed guest into our lives. Why? Because it is through God's word that God reveals himself to us. His glory, his love, his grace, his mercy, his power, his justice, his faithfulness. This is how we come to know who God is and who he calls us to be. Therefore, to fail to listen and receive God's word is to dishonor God and to reject him. But we can learn some lessons here in Acts chapter 13 about how to listen well to a sermon as the word of God, which is invaluable, especially to us who live in an age of overwhelming information and noise. We have endless amounts of information coming at us constantly. Television, radio, magazines, books, podcasts, blogs, news feeds, social media. And we've been conditioned how to listen or not to listen, right? And these habits that we've developed to filter the noise affect how we listen even to God's word read and proclaimed. Therefore, we need to know what it looks like to listen well to God's word. We need to know because we desire to honor the Lord in our worship by participating, not only in the singing of hymns, praying the prayers, giving our tithes, but also we participate in listening to God's word. We need to know because we desire to truly hear the word of the Lord because we understand it to be the word of life. Because we believe that it has the power to save. Because we believe that it is authoritative over our lives. Because we believe it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's worth stopping this morning and examining some of the aspects demonstrated in this passage of what it looks like to listen well to God's word. And I want to lift up four this morning that we find here. So first, listening well begins before the preacher ever opens his mouth to proclaim God's word. If we are to listen well, then we must be prepared beforehand. So listening well requires preparation. Preparation in Acts 13 comes in the form of coming with an eagerness to hear the word of God. We see this in verse 44. The preaching of the gospel from the previous Sabbath had caused quite a stir there in Antioch. Luke tells us by the next Sabbath, day, almost the whole city showed up. But they didn't just show up, nor did they come just to see a show. They gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Luke is explicit about this. They gathered to hear the word of the Lord. This means that they came purposefully and expectantly intent on hearing God's voice, knowing that when God's people gather together, God speaks. 
If we are going to listen well, then we better show up ready and eager to hear God's word to us. And this means that the preacher isn't the only one who has to put the work in before he steps into the pulpit. Charles Spurgeon once noted, we are told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted, but we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation, the sower or the ground? I would have that the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed well turned over and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than by the preacher. Well, that's an interesting thought, huh? So when we come to worship on the Lord's day, we better show up prepared. And it isn't just showing up expecting for God to speak. That is very important, but there are other practical ways that we can work to make sure the soil of our hearts is well plowed and ready to receive the seed of God's word. So one thing we can do is read over the scripture text and pray over the scripture text before Sunday morning. Familiarize yourself with it. Pray that God would reveal himself to you through it. Give the Spirit the opportunity to begin His work in you through God's Word. This is why I send out the text that John or I will be preaching on each week by at least Friday in my weekly email. And Meredith sends out the bulletin as well. We do this so that you can come prepared for worship. We do this in order that you can read over the Scripture passage prior to worship. And I've heard from many of you that you are doing just that. I want to commend you for preparing in this way. If you aren't, though, I want to encourage you this morning to make that a weekly habit. We should heed the words of the Puritan Richard Baxter, who said, read and meditate on the Holy Scriptures much in private, and then you will be the better able to understand what is preached on it in public. And when you come into the sanctuary, spend a few moments before the service begins in silent prayer. Quiet yourselves before the Lord. Again, ask the Lord to speak to you through his word. Ask that the meditations of your heart over God's word would be pleasing to him. Ask the Lord to accomplish his purposes in you through the proclamation of his word. Pray for whoever is preaching that morning. Ask the Lord that he would use us as his instruments and that his word would go forth with clarity and with boldness from our mouths for the edification and building up of his church. And we don't want to just come spiritually prepared. We have to be physically prepared as well, right? We aren't prepared to listen if we are physically famished or exhausted. And this means that we should enter worship having attended to our physical needs. My years spent pulling all-nighters in college taught me that I am not at my best. I was not capable of being fully attentive to my professors when I was lacking sleep. This means that our Lord's Day routine should really begin 
well before Sunday morning. Saturday evenings should be protected and used for preparation. Our habits should reflect this preparation. My family makes a habit of not being out late on Saturday evenings. This is one way that we do this. And it's not merely because I need to be ready for Sunday morning. It's because we also don't want our family showing up tired for worship. As Reformed theologian and author Philip Ryken comments, if the body is well rested and the soul is well prepared, then the mind will be alert. And this gets us to the second way in which we ensure that we listen well. We must limit distractions. We must limit distractions. Now, we probably tend to think of distractions as external things, and certainly external distractions can be problematic. As a parent, I know that it can be difficult at times to devote my full attention to listening to a sermon when I have a young child next to me in the pew. Parents, this is a very good reason that we should be committed to working with our children at home during the week to train them to also listen well to the reading and preaching of God's word. They need not be a distraction to themselves or to others, meaning that worship training is very, very important. But there are many other external things that can distract us as well. For instance, it is a good thing not to have a cell phone turned on ringer or vibrate mode in our pocket or purse during worship. Even if it isn't audibly ringing, you don't need it buzzing. What happens when your phone starts buzzing in your pocket? Your mind starts to wander. Who is texting or calling me? I wonder if it's an emergency. Or did I just get an email? I wonder if it has to do with that work issue. We don't need anything like that going on while we are worshiping the Lord. Even with these sorts of things going on around us, the reality is, though, most of us can pretty well block out external distractions if we are properly focused. I would like to suggest then that internal distractions are a far bigger problem for the majority of us. Coming to worship exhausted from the night before will always be a much larger distraction than a restless child in the pew in front of you. Generally, how well rested you are is much more in your control as well. And it was internal distractions that prevented the Jews from hearing the gospel in Antioch. They were worrying themselves with the worthiness of the others gathered around them on that day. And notice how there is no indication that the Gentiles were distracted at all by what the Jews were doing, though. Again, I will push more into all of that next week. But for now, we simply want to acknowledge that many of the Jews were prevented from hearing God's word because of what was going on in their hearts and in their minds. Their inner voice drowned out God's word to them. And at its core, it was a sin issue. We can show up for worship and totally miss what God has to say to us because we are distracted by an unresolved sin issue in our own lives. And their particular sin in Acts 13 was an unbiblical expectation caused by a hateful and selfish heart. 
We can certainly come into the sanctuary with unbiblical expectations and selfishness. We do that when we think that worship is about us and is meant to fit our particular wants and desires. How well are we going to listen to God's word if we're thinking about how we really didn't like that first hymn? How well are we going to hear God's word to us if our expectation is that the sermon is meant for our entertainment or inspiration and is failing in that regard? And yet, how many self-professed Christians come into worship with these sorts of expectations because they have been improperly influenced by the surrounding culture? Inevitably, they will walk out of worship muttering something like, well, I didn't get anything out of that sermon. And it could have been the preacher's fault, granted, for not preaching an expositional sermon that proclaimed the gospel. But it could have also been their own fault for allowing distractions to prevent them from hearing God's word to them. And if something like this is an issue, then it should be part of our preparation for worship to deal with our sin and to seek to put it to death and to come to worship acknowledging that worship is meant to please God and not us. But internal distractions aren't limited to unresolved sin issues or unbiblical expectations of worship. We could simply be sitting there overly concerned with the person next to us in the pew, thinking about how we don't like her outfit or wondering how he has the nerve to show up in church given what he was doing on Friday night. We could also be thinking about what we have going on later in the day or later in the week, or entertaining one of those 1,000 thoughts that can crowd our mind at any moment. We can allow ourselves to wander away pretty easily. The preacher says something about the bread of life, and all of a sudden we are thinking about those rolls at Texas Roadhouse. (laughs) Don't do it. Self-control. We have to be careful that we aren't being as Martha was, who Jesus says was worried and bothered about so many things. She missed an opportunity to sit and listen to Jesus because she was distracted by less important matters. Focus. And if our distractions are a result of some lack of attentiveness, then there are some pretty simple solutions. Being attentive is a discipline. It requires practice and intentionality. I have a friend who used to confess to me, not infrequently, that he had difficulty paying attentions at time in worship. He knew this about himself. So he told me that he would sit closer to the front of the sanctuary because it helped him to get focused in and to pay attention. He came with a pencil in hand ready to take notes. This is not only a way to stay focused on what's being said, and remember what was said, but it allows you to go back and to continue to meditate on what was said throughout the day or in the days to come. And this leads to our third aspect of how to listen well. You see, listening well is not limited to functional auditory, a functional auditory system, right? It isn't as easy as just hearing what is being said. Listening well requires us to process what we are hearing. This is our third lesson in our passage. We must process what we are hearing. 
And in this regard, listening well to God's word is not the same as listening well to a history lecture. The goal is not simply to gain information or to be intellectually stimulated, right? Even while God's word should engage us intellectually, listening well to God's word is not merely an intellectual exercise. What we see throughout Acts is that those who truly receive God's word proclaimed to them are doing more than just thinking about it. Yes, their minds are alert, but their hearts are also engaged. Their spirits are attuned to what is being spoken. And we see that here in Acts 13. We see God's word reaching beyond intellectual levels to touch them emotionally and spiritually. What Paul and Barnabas proclaim are not merely ideas to think about with some sort of removed objectivity. Rather, the proclamation of the gospel produces joy and excitement and assurance because it reaches deep into their souls. These are matters of heart and spirit. So we should be seeking to open ourselves to God's word in this way. The sermon isn't just something to be critiqued and evaluated. It's not a performance. It's not a lecture. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen discerningly. Every sermon you hear should be examined by the scriptures. As we will see the Bereans doing so well in Acts 17. But we should also listen in a way as to open ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us through God's word to calm our fears, to comfort our sorrows, to disturb our consciences to expose our sins, to proclaim God's grace, to assure us in the faith. We should be asking God, praying as we listen, God, what are you teaching me? How is your word showing me that I am falling short? What do I need to do about it? How can I make the lessons you are teaching me here a consistent part of my life. So we should never be a lazy listener with our minds turned off and our hearts shut down. We should exert ourselves in our listening to provide an opportunity for God's word to have its way in us, to receive it, even if it unsettles us, challenges us, confronts us. And this means that we must be determined to fight hard that we must be determined to fight hard against the reality that we live in a culture where everything has become more eye-oriented than ear-oriented. Think about it. We have given up a 280-character tweet to move to a picture on Instagram. Think about that. If we aren't intentional our ability to listen well will atrophy. And we can't make the mistake of thinking that as soon as the sermon is done, the work's over. We have to continue processing even after worship. And we can see this here in Acts 13. Clearly, there had been follow-up discussions that have happened from the previous Sunday. In verse 43, we're told, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. 
who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Those who were there in attendance on that first Sabbath had continued to discuss what had been proclaimed to them in the synagogue. They followed Paul and Barnabas that week. Certainly there were questions that were asked and further explanations given. They continued to turn over in their hearts and minds what had been said during worship. They discussed it with one another, which is why so many showed up the next Sabbath day. You can do the same thing with your spouse, with your children, with your fellow church members. Talk about the sermon over lunch, after worship, over dinner that evening. Small groups are wonderful in this regard. They serve a wonderful purpose in providing an opportunity to continue to process the sermon with others. If you've taken notes, go back and read over the notes later on Sunday or at some point in the days following. This leads to our fourth and final point. We desire for God's word to dwell in us deeply, not simply in order that we know God's word, but that it has its way with us, transforming us ever more into those whom God has called us to be. And God has called us to be people of his word, meaning that he has called called us to live out his word. So our fourth point is this. Listening well means that we aren't merely hearers of the word, but that we are also doers of the word, as James 1.22 puts it. Acts chapter 13 and verse 48 tells us that when the Gentiles heard the word of the Lord, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. We're going to get to that election part next week. But they were rejoicing because they found in the word of God the promise of eternal life. They found that forgiveness of God had been offered to them, even them, that they could have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It was a precious gift. But what does it mean that they were glorifying the word of the Lord? Glorifying here means honoring. And how do we honor God's word? Simple. We obey it. We do what it says. It shouldn't surprise us that the very next verse then tells us that the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. The word of the Lord spread because Gentiles came to faith in Jesus Christ and began to obey God's word. They began to live in the spirit, giving witness to the power of the resurrection alive in them. They lived, in other words, as people of the word. Listening well means listening with an intention of doing. When scripture talks about hearing, like in Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Hebrew word describes not only receiving information, but acting upon it. There is an inherent connection between listening and doing throughout scripture. J.I. Packer was right when he stated that congregations never honor God more than by reverently listening to his word with full purpose of praising and obeying him once they see what he has done and what they are called to do. But here's the reality. If we have truly listened well to the good news of the gospel, 
If we have really heard that we have been freed from our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us, that we have received the gift of eternal life, not because of anything good we have done, not because we are worthy in any way, but because Jesus Christ, even while we were yet sinners and enemies of God, stood in our place and took upon himself the wrath of God. The sinless one became sin for us. And if we have truly allowed the truth of God's grace toward us to penetrate our hearts, then we won't view obeying God's word as a burden, but as a great privilege. The privilege of those who have been saved by God's grace alone. The privilege of those who have been freed from sin to respond to God's goodness. The privilege of those who are called according to God's purposes. And we will be doers of the word willingly, joyfully, eagerly. As we find those Gentiles who heard this very same gospel preached to them. So let us be prepared to listen. Let us limit distractions. Let us make sure to process what we hear. Let us be doers of the word. And may God's word deliver to us, not return to him void, but accomplish all that he purposes for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to listen well to your word. Forbid it, Lord, that your word would find infertile or impenetrable soil when it meets our ears, our minds, our hearts, but grant that it might be received in faith, that it might be treasured in our hearts, that it might transform us and refine us according to your good purposes, and that we might live out the good works that you have prepared for us. For it is in Jesus' name, that we pray and for his sake. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Philippian Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe?